0: Okay, cool. Hey, let's pray as we get started this morning. Jesus, we're grateful that we have your word, and by it, we get to know you. And so, as we look to the scriptures this morning, God, we pray that we wouldn't waste a second, but that you'd help us to know you more, and love you more, and that you'd be glorified um, by our time together this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to start this in a really fun way, and I want to ask you, what's, what's the hardest thing going on in your life? right now. And I, I actually, if you want to take a second, if you have a pen maybe in the seat back in front of you, if you actually want to just jot it on your bulletin, something this week that just knocked you off your feet or maybe it's been going on for a while and has discouraged you or kind of taken the wind out of your sails, what's just got you down? And then maybe to follow that up similarly, maybe it's related for you, what sin right now is dragging you down? Is it is there something you keep going back to, whether it's gossip or deceit or disrespect or laziness or selfishness? Or what is it that keeps just hitting you and knocking you on the ground? I know, fun guest speaker, fun way to start, right? Well, uh, just to introduce myself before we go any further, uh, like Dylan said, my name's Nolan, and my wife, Anna, and I have been coming to Core Creek now for six, seven months. And I graduated from Karen uh, a few years back. Karen peeps, where are you at? Yeah, yeah, cool. Lots of us. Great. Uh, Graduated a little while back. We were out in California for a while, and we're really, really thankful to be back. So I've gotten to meet a number of you. If we haven't gotten to meet you yet, uh, we have a baby. So he's really cute. So that's like an incentive to come say hi, you know? If not, just wanting to get to know us. So after service, we'll be hanging out. We'd love to to get to meet you and know more of you guys. That'd be great. Um, Yeah, so thanks for letting me be here. I appreciate John giving me a chance to to teach and preach, and I can't wait to share with you guys. So so the reason I, uh, I talk about this is we're going to be in Hebrews 12 today. So the reason I put these questions up here is Hebrews 12 deals with obedience through hardship. And if you want to turn there now, we're going to go through the first 11 verses in this chapter, and the author of Hebrews has some tough but really helpful things for us to say. And so I want us to keep in mind some of those difficulties that we really do face. So Hebrews 12, I'm going to jump right in uh, as you turn there again. Verses 1 through 11 is where we'll be. I'm just going to read through the passage to start. So, Hebrews 12 starts like this. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, if I pause really briefly, if you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is a passage that some people would call the hall of faith. Uh, A a number of Old Testament saints, especially, are recalled to memory and and their examples of faith that they had in God and how that led them to obedience. So that's what the author's talking about here. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, saints in the past, then let us throw off everything that hinders and the the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. And how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. We see this analogy a number of times in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that the Christian life is something of a race, right? This thing we've embarked on and we're moving forward. And occasionally, Scriptures talk about how there's things that pull us and drag us down. And the reason I start with these heavy questions is I think for a lot of us, maybe if you're like me, it's hard on a Sunday morning to think about those hardest things that I'm going through, right? This is this is like our time that we get to be together and we get to celebrate the gospel. I mean, after all, it's good news. We have Easter, that's kind of like the thing, and we celebrate that Jesus has won our victory, our sin's forgiven, it's good. But the reality is, throughout our week, there's stuff that is not so good. There's days we don't feel nearly as positive. And that's that's real. That really affects our faith, that affects our actions and our life, our relationships. And so... uh, I have to really focus when I'm in church and I'm hearing God's word or even just when I'm reading devotionally to actually think about how does this gospel truth interact with the hardest things in my life? Like it's easy to to feel good about that, but man, when I'm down at the bottom, how does the gospel intersect with my life then? And the truth is we've all gone through and are going through things that are really difficult And sometimes they're external. Sometimes we have no control over it and they're things that happen to us. Sometimes they're a result of our own sin and failures that we heap upon ourselves. And if you're like me, (laughs) when those things happen, you might not always have the best first reaction. You know, unless I'm really on my A game, when those things in life come and punch me in the face, my first reaction isn't always to bow my head, and trust in the Lord and thank Him that I get to go through this difficulty and pray for His strength. Man, no! I get anxious and nervous, and I get controlling, and I stress out, and I am short with people, and I, I'm like my worst self at first glance, right? But thankfully, in Hebrews 12, in the beginning here, we have this incredible example of Jesus Christ. And we answer this question, when it comes to obedience and hardship, How? How do we actually do that? How do we actually persevere through the darkest times and find obedience? Jesus shows us the way. Jesus faced all sorts of hardships in his life, just as we do. We're thankful that we can identify him with uh, in that way. And the hardest thing he ever faced was the cross. It had to be. The emotional and spiritual and physical torment that Jesus went through on our behalf was unlike anything anyone has experienced in all time. And Jesus went through that for our sake, he was abandoned by family and friends. He ended up having thousands of years of sin placed on him on the cross all at once. And so in the middle of that, how did Jesus Christ press on? Well, I think it's interesting that the scriptures don't just say that because he's God, it was clean and easy and no problem for him. In fact, multiple times near the end of his life, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he says, Guys, look, I'm going to die. I'm getting ready to go be put to death by my enemies and then after that I'm going to be gone. And he confides in his friends closely a multi, you know number of times and they just don't get it. They don't believe him. It doesn't click. They don't realize how serious he is. And then on the night of his arrest, he goes to God, the Father, and he asks, is there any other way? Is there any other way we can accomplish salvation? The Bible's pretty clear. Jesus had a thread in him that didn't want to go to the cross. He knew how agonizing it was going to be. He wasn't looking forward to it. It wasn't going to be all rosy for him. And so in Hebrews, we actually see how Jesus went about enduring this pain. And another thing that's really interesting to me is that according to this passage, let's just read it really quickly, at least verses one and two. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I find it interesting that Jesus' primary motivation to endure the cross, according to this passage, according to Philippians 2, other passages as well, wasn't just that he loved us. That was part of it. That was certainly part of it. But according to this, we read that Jesus looked ahead to what? The joy before him. The glory before him. In other words, Jesus looked at the cross, he knew all the suffering he was going to go through, and he didn't just grin and bear it. He didn't try to minimize how hard it was going to be. He didn't try to ignore it. He didn't try to dodge it. He didn't see it as an excuse to fail. He didn't do any of that. Instead, Jesus, on the night of his arrest, knew the gravity of what he was about to go through. And instead of fearing it and succumbing to it, what did he do? He looked past it. He looked to the eternal future that would come as a result of him accomplishing this mission that he'd been set out for. He looked past the cross and he saw all the joy that would come as a result of this obedience to the Father. And he viewed it as far greater than the suffering that would come at the hands of these men. That Jesus, being God, had to have the spiritual and mental discipline to go through that. He actually had a strategy in his mind of how he would endure that suffering. And I just feel like he was God. He was perfect. And he did that. How much more then should we? You know, we're silly if we think we'll just be able to tough it out. We'll just be able to choose obedience over sin. Because guess what, right? We're not that good. Like, if you know the gospel truth, we don't bring that many good things to the table. We bring brokenness. We bring sin. We love our sin too much. And if we just think on our own willpower, we're going to get through trials, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Instead, we look at Jesus, this this beautiful example. And the beautiful thing is, in Hebrews chapter 4, it even says this, that Jesus, we don't have a great high priest in Jesus who was unable to identify with us in our weakness? What's it say? We had one who was tempted and tested in every way, just like we are, and was still found blameless. We don't get the excuse of saying, yeah, well, he was Jesus, and he doesn't understand what I've gone through. No, in no way, in no way. He, in fact, went through far greater than any of us ever have or will and still remained faithful. And so can we follow Jesus' example in this? that we look at Him and we see Him as sinless and we remember the strategy He had. And so when these things press on us and we feel like sin is just tripping us up, we look ahead, past all of that. And just like Jesus endured the cross for the joy before Him, we can endure the hardships for the joy that's set before us if you believe the promises of Scripture that again and again speak of this eternal peace peace and rest will have in heaven. And these things on this earth, though heavy and hard, start to pale in comparison with how good and wonderful that is. And here's what's so beautiful about all this. In this passage, we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's not just our example. Catch this. Jesus isn't just who we look to follow. He's actually the very thing that as we follow his example, we set our eyes on. As we follow Jesus' example of looking past our suffering, He's who we look to. We gaze upon Jesus. We remember these Bible truths. We let it soak our minds. And we can remember, man, all this stuff is worth it because Jesus is alive and He saved me and I didn't deserve it. And we remember passages, Philippians 2. I just wanted to read this to you. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Being in very nature God. This is Jesus. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Instead, He made Himself nothing He took the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. At that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. This is another one that gets me through. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. for The old things of the old order have passed away. We look at Jesus in passages like this and we look past our suffering and we say, Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy of me looking to you and living for you and with you. His suffering is pale in comparison. How glorious You are. It's by letting the truth of who he is saturate our minds and our hearts that we find the strength to press on. So I just say, you know, that thing you wrote down or that you thought of, as soon as I said, what's the hardest thing, you thought of something. This is how we endure. No insult here. You're not tough enough. You're not good enough. I'm not either. It's only by Jesus' example and by the person of Jesus Christ that we persevere through these difficulties. So the next question I want to ask, I think think we get that maybe. This next question, there's sort of a stock answer, is in obedience through hardship, how much? In other words, to what extent of suffering and hardship ought we to obey? You know, and I think all of us would say, right, church answer, well, no matter what, we should obey and follow Jesus, right? There's, There's nothing that, Sure, cause us not to do that. Okay, right. Sure. Great. Nice. But I think if we're being honest, I'll say, if I'm being honest, I probably have a different real standard in my head. You know? And it's funny, it's easy to do the right thing when it's the easiest thing. Right? Like if I have a, a normal, fine, good day at work, and I come home, and Anna says, hey, how was your day at work? It's easier for me to say, Good. good. Fine. It's a good day. Then, for, for me to say, hey, how was your day at work? Well, hon, there was a fire, and I, uh, I saved everyone. I saved all the people, and I saved all the files at work, and I saved the, I, I saved the university, honestly. That's how my day was, right? Make up some elaborate lie. No, it's easier to just tell her the truth in that situation. It's not that I'm so good or that I love Christ so much when I do the obedient thing when it's the easiest thing. That doesn't really show or tell us much, right? And I think for us, probably the most common enemy of obedience for Christians in America, if I'm generalizing, is probably just inconvenience. right? Inconvenience hits, and then we start to find excuses. We realize our standard for obedience is a little bit lower than what we know the Bible says it ought to be. Hardship comes and we just kind of get shaken. Well, Hebrews 4, man, I read this some years back, and it was like the first time I ever really read this passage, and it just stabbed me, you know? It says, in your struggle against sin, the author's writing here, it's a New Testament believers, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And the author here almost mockingly indicts believers for not being willing to go through physical pain. Now, like, for me, if I had a hard day at work, you know, I'm tired and a little bit irritated, then I'm prone to just treat people terribly. Right? Maybe I had a long day at work and my boss asked me to do a few things before I go, and I could probably do them, but I'm lazy and I'm selfish, and so I kind of just... Skirt through the rest of the day without accomplishing those tasks, and I go home, and Uriah's crying, and I'm hungry, and so I'm short, and I'm rude with people, and I I don't treat Anna well, you know, or or money's tight, and so I get stressed out, and I I get selfish and greedy, and right, like it's I'm not even going through physical pain; things just got inconvenient and uncomfortable, and I've quickly just said, okay, Jesus, forget forget your ways. I gotta I gotta do this thing right now. I gotta focus on me. It's so stupid. And the author here says, man, if you're not even willing to bleed for Jesus, ah, the expectation here is that that is sort of the least of our standard to obey Christ. And the New Testament especially, and even the Old Testament again and again, attest that our standard really ought to be death. Like we're faithful to Christ, even if it means our life is taken from us. And I just fear that although we know that's the biblical standard, that we don't really hold ourselves to that. That we're, we're really good at letting ourselves off the hook and using hardships as excuses. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's what Christ intended or for what God hopes for us. So I just wonder what your threshold is. I struggle with this all the time. And uh, all throughout Scripture, again and again, suffering is spoken about. In fact, Anna and I, this was really convicting to me, we were recently taking part of this, uh, it was an event that we were praying for the persecuted church. And we were praying specifically for believers in Malaysia, and right now uh, it's just one country where the gospel is just being attacked and people are being kidnapped and tormented and killed and um, shunned because of their faith in Christ. And they asked us to pray for these believers, but you know what's crazy to me? Is they didn't ask for us to pray for their relief. In fact, they said explicitly that we don't do that. They said, we don't want to pray that this persecution would stop. Instead, we want to pray that God would give them the strength to persevere through this. Because when the gospel is actually taking root somewhere, persecution happens. And that's happening in Malaysia. And I thought, oh man, that's just not how I think. But the scriptures all over the place speak about this. In fact, I'm just going to read you a number of passages here. I'm going to throw these on the screen if you, want to, um, if you want to take notes or jot these down, you can. But I'm just going to read these. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. It says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Psalm 34, 19 says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Second Corinthians twelve ten. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. First Peter four twelve. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, speaking about believers being burned at the stake, fiery ordeal, as though something strange were happening to you. Matthew twenty four, nine to eleven. You'll be handed over to be persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 2 Timothy 2.3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Mark 8.34, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Second Timothy eight, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Psalm forty two ten to 11 My bones suffer agony as my foes taunt me, saying all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I'll yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Genesis 39.20, Joseph's masters took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. All over in Scripture, suffering is an expectation of the Christian faith, not an excuse from it. If we understand and believe the Bible, we'll realize that going through suffering is exactly what we should expect. And so the extent of how much is to every end. To every end, we ought to be obedient to Christ. And it's interesting, we're sort of in a a unique situation in history, and even in the world, if we're being honest, we experience very little persecution. Like the most we experience is maybe discomfort or awkwardness, or maybe like a little bit of social rejection. But throughout the ages, followers of Christ have been constantly mistreated, physically hurt, tormented because of their faith and even killed. We experience very little of that. And I believe we should be really thankful that we have the privilege to gather together freely and worship. I mean, this is great. Look around. You know other believers in Christ, and you get to be encouraged by them and encourage them as we grow together in Christ. But I don't think we should use this freedom as an excuse to coddle ourselves into a sheepish faith. I think when we do that. we're abusing the gospel. Instead, I think we need to use this freedom to live more openly and more passionately for the sake of Christ. Compared to the rest of the world and history, we've got so much freedom to do that. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that every difficulty in your life is petty. There's plenty of things that come on us, not even because of our faith at all, but hardships and depressing things that attack you that are legitimately difficult no matter what time in history you live. But when it comes to results of our faith, there's very little that we actually experience compared to most of history. It's so total and full obedience in all circumstances. That's God's expectation that we persevere through the darkest of times. And even those things you wrote down on your paper, he walks with you through that. He doesn't say this is going to be easy, but that's sort of beside the point. If you see obstacles as excuses for your faith, you've missed the principles God set forth for us. And here's what's beautiful. In Hebrews 12.4, this passage isn't just a charge against us to make us see how bad we are. It's actually this terrible and beautiful contrast of us and Jesus that we are rarely willing to put ourselves on the line as a result of our faith. And yet Jesus gave his body, he shed his blood, to complete our faith. I heard it said this way once, a pastor said that sin happened when man tried to take the place of God, but salvation happened when God took the place of man. And so this cutting rebuke and warning from the author of Hebrews sets the standard for us that we obey to the fullest extent in all cases, and we do that, as we recall from the beginning of this chapter, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we talked about obedience through hardship, how we're supposed to do that, how much we're supposed to do that. But now I want to answer this question, how come? When it comes to this obedience and this hardship, why? Why did God design the Christian life this way? Why do I have to, why do I have to persevere? It seems like it could be unnecessary and irrelevant. But luckily, the author of Hebrews answers this question regarding discipline and difficulty in a really straightforward manner. So if we just go back to Hebrews 12, verse 5, we're just going to read down through verse 11 again because he just hits this right on the head. He says, you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So endure hardship as what? As discipline. God's treating you as his children. What children aren't disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, you're not legitimate, you're not true sons and daughters at all. We had human fathers who disciplined us. We respected them for it. Then how much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we might share His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I was reading, and one commentator said that when it comes to this idea, you know, if we want to enjoy the comforts of God as our Father, then we have to accept and submit to the discipline that he gives us as his children. In order to truly be children of God, we have to accept his discipline. Now, one thing to understand about this whole discipline and hardship idea right off the bat that's very, very important, that I think sometimes we actually get completely wrong, is that discipline here is not always punitive. It's not always a punishment. In other words, the hard things we go through is not necessarily God always saying, you messed up, now you have to go through this. In fact, if that was the case, if God was sitting in heaven waiting for us to slip up so he could rain down misery, we'd probably have a lot more of it, right? Yeah, right, I know. We make a lot of mistakes. But the word we translate discipline here, your version might say chastisement, is used elsewhere of just education or instruction. It has to do with the whole idea of raising up a child. Now, Like I said, we have a baby boy coming up on one-year-old, Uriah, and uh, for some reason recently, Uriah has decided he doesn't like green vegetables. Was eating them for months, doing good, now we give him a piece of broccoli, shoves it away, you know, he points to the cheese, we say, no, you got to eat your broccoli, he eats it, he makes a big deal, like he's gagging on it, he spits it out, he's crying, throws it on the floor. It's a really nice little routine he has. But what do we do? We try to keep giving him those vegetables. And it's not because we don't like him or he did something bad. We're trying to raise him up to be healthy. And part of that, they say, is you have to eat your green vegetables. It's not a punishment for him yet. But we're just trying to do the right thing. And because he's a child... Sometimes he doesn't like that thing. And so in the same way, God looks on us and sometimes there's hard things we go through and we don't like it, but God as our Father sees us and knows what we need and he puts us through those hard times anyway, even if we don't like it. Another commentator said it really well. He said in verse 8, when it talks about accepting discipline and being true children of God, he said, Christians might think that they wouldn't suffer if they were really God's children, However, the reverse is the case. If they didn't suffer, then they wouldn't be God's children. These hardships, again, the same ones you thought of and wrote down at the beginning of this message, those are the things, how come, why do we go through those things? Because those are the things that more than anything else display and develop our faith. It's in those darkest and hardest and most inconvenient and scariest of times that our faith really grows and shows We'll never be perfect in this life. But if you've been walking with Christ, I think you've probably found that experiencing a right relationship with God is actually the most satisfying thing in this life. More than money or experiences or possessions. More than any of that. Having a a good, right, alive relationship with Jesus will provide you far, far, far more satisfaction than anything else ever could. And so... God, structured these hard things to actually allow us to experience more of that. If those are things you actually desire to, to draw nearer and closer to Christ, then we'll be trained to see that although in the moment, just as this passage says, suffering is not fun, it's not easy, that it's actually a good thing. When it's not the absolute easiest thing to be obedient, we find out how we really relate to Christ. We find out how much we truly care about Him. and This verse says, uh, you know, God's, God's structuring this so we can share in one of the quintessential elements of who He is. Verse 10 says that God does all this so that we can share in His what? In His holiness. We've been welcomed into this divine privilege. That although we are sinners and on our own we're in the muck and mire of our own sin, God has pulled us out of that. And he's welcoming us in to holy living. We could never have gotten there on our own. And yet, because of the grace of God, we're welcome to actually live a way that doesn't just lead to dissatisfaction and despair. We can live with joy in Jesus. It also says that for those who've been trained by it, this produces righteousness and peace. Who doesn't want more of those things in their lives? And whether you like it or not, the Scriptures say, and remember, God's like Father, we're like kids, He knows better than us. The Scriptures say, this is the best way God does it. This is the biggest way God makes us more like Him. God, in His grace, has made a way for us to draw near to Him, to experience satisfaction in Him. And it's a beautiful but difficult way. I'll tell you what, I think we all know that our faith impacts our actions, Right? Like, if you're, if you're really right with God, if you're walking with Him, you're probably more likely to find obedience a more fluid, easy thing. 1 John 5 3 says, uh, This is true love of God. If you obey His commandments, and it's not burdensome. In other words, like, if you, if you really love the Lord, you'll be able to obey, and it won't be the worst thing in the world. But did you also know that your actions affect your faith? There's a two way street here. It's not just that your faith affects your actions. Put it this way, like, say, let's say you're really uncomfortable sharing your faith, right? It's like something that's really hard for you. You don't feel like it's natural. You don't feel like that's your role. And so you, you don't do it a whole lot. But I bet you, if you just started, if you stepped out and it was, it was terrible, like you tried to articulate the gospel and the person was more confused, right? And you did that a number of times and you just started being bold about sharing your faith even though it wasn't your deal. I bet after time, you'd start to have more confidence in that. You'd start to have more faith that God was going to give you the things to say. You'd start to realize more how desperately those people need the gospel. Your actions would affect your faith. And so the author here, I think, is saying a similar thing, that even if it's hard, and man, you don't want to do it, man, you just feel like giving up, that obeying through the most difficult of times will actually change your faith. You'll learn to trust in Jesus more because of how he shows up in those situations. Look, uh, I know I'm like reading the Bible and teaching and people like to put people like that on a pedestal. When hard things happen, ask Anna. Don't ask Anna. It'll get too ugly. When hard things happen, I'm not like great in that situation. I stress out like any other person. Right? Anna and I started keeping a book a few years ago of when things were really hard or stressful or whatever, and God showed up. We just write it down. And what we'd do is we'd go get that book out when something new came up and we'd be like, man, look at all these things that God has done. And I'd be like, yeah, God's got it. And I'd close the book and be like, Shh, but I don't know how he's ever going to do this. Man, <laughs> sheesh, right? It doesn't make any sense. But that's what we do. But when we're trained by this discipline, when we've seen Jesus show up again and again, now we've just, we're starting to learn a little bit baby steps. Like now we can go like, man, this doesn't look good, but like we can step out in faith because he's never failed yet. Why would he start now? And so I just want to say this as a caveat as we, as we move toward the close here that I just want to be real about this. Like there's people in this room who have gone through far more difficult things than I have. You've had darker, harder experiences than I ever know. I know I'm still young and, I, and life's going to throw a lot more at me. And I don't at all, I really hope you hear this, I don't at all mean to trivialize or, or minimize those things you've gone through whether it's a result of your faith or, or, or sort of indirect, not really a result of your faith, something hard that this life's just thrown at you, I really don't want you to hear me saying like, big what? That's the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm saying that even in light of the gravity and the hardship of the worst situations we go through, Jesus is still walking with us. And he can empathize with us because of the cross. And so he sees every weakness we have and he's there. And I just pray you would believe that. I pray that when those things come on you, that you wouldn't see them as an excuse, that your faith wouldn't fall apart. You would instead look at Jesus. You would see what He did. You'd look past your suffering toward eternity. You'd look to Jesus. You'd realize He expects full obedience and faithfulness. And you would see why. That as we persevere through that, we'll experience greater joy and satisfaction than we ever could any other way because we're walking with Christ. So can we just join together in looking to Jesus for all of this? No matter what it is that's got you down, can we just join together as a church body and family and look to Jesus, even in the hardest, scariest of times? He saw glory on the other side, and we will too. Let's remember His example and obey through adversity. Let's raise our standard for obedience and as we prepare to sing uh, and praise God as we just close out here this morning, I just ask that maybe as we're doing that, if you would just take a minute and you would just actually pray and meet with God about whatever that thing is. You know, maybe you're having a great week and there's not something that's pressing on you, but man, if it's been a hard year or week or month or ten years, I, I don't know. I, I would just ask, like, as we pray, as we sing, that you would pray to the Lord about how he shows up in that situation. You wouldn't shy away from it. You wouldn't try to hide that from him. You wouldn't think he can't handle it. You'd ask God to step in, to give you the perseverance to endure. You'd ask him to show you how good he is and how worthy he is of our obedience and our love. You would just remind him, or that he would just remind you, I should say, that he's good. He deserves all the glory. So let's just pray, and we'll close out this morning. Lord God, we're really grateful that you love us. And there's a lot of hard things that we face from all different angles. And we're so incredibly grateful, Jesus, that you know exactly what it's like to walk in our shoes. You took on human flesh you experienced our weaknesses. And now, even in light of that, we can look to you and see you as more worthy than our suffering is bad and hard. So God, please give us the strength. We don't bring it on our own. We're weak and we're foolish and we're quick to just fail and resort to to stupid actions to try to solve our own problems. But we pray instead you'd give us the wisdom and the strength to persevere through these hard times. We pray you would train us by them to experience more of your peace and more of your righteousness and holiness that we walk more and more in step with you, God. We're thankful. We're so thankful that we don't have to do this on our own but that you accompany us along the journey. And we'll be careful to give You the praise in all things, Jesus. Amen.